Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast, your weekly dose of all things football tactics and coaching related. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we have another exciting episode for you all today. Thus far on the podcast, we've brought you coaches, analysts, managers, and even authors to talk to us about how different clubs operate on the football pitch and in training. However, today we've gone down a slightly different route and managed to get a guest on that has been involved in absolutely everything in the game. On today's podcast episode, Chris Casper has decided to join us to speak about his career in football. Chris rose through the ranks at one of the most competitive academies in the world, Manchester United, coming up as part of the infamous class of 92, along with the likes of Paul Scholes, David Beckham and Gary Neville. Chris went on to make a couple of appearances for the first team under the great Sir Alex Ferguson before moving on to Pastures New. Unfortunately, a devastating injury during his time at Reading forced him to retire before his career could really kick off. However, Chris didn't leave the sport. Instead, he picked himself up, dusted himself off, did his coaching badges and became a professional coach. From 2005 to 2008, Chris managed Burnley Football Club's Forest team before going on to be a youth coach at both Bradford City and Grimsby Town. At the latter, his work was thought of so highly that he was appointed as the assistant manager. Not long after, Casper moved on to work for the Premier League as a club support manager working within the academy system. But it is the present day where Chris is arguably at the biggest role of his post-playing career thus far. In 2017, he was appointed as the sporting director of Salford City, owned by some of his fellow Class of 92 members. Salford are certainly an interesting team who have had somewhat of a meteoric rise in recent times and are now comfortably an EFL constant. Chris has been one of the key factors behind this rise and consolidation, and while he is still involved with coaching the first team and the development squad, we are delighted to have him join us in today's podcast alongside myself to discuss how Salford operate as a club behind the scenes. Looking at the side of football that is very rarely visible to the public eye, the role of the sporting director, a forbidden fruit, if you will. Chris, it's wonderful to have you on today. How are you keeping? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. Um, finally, the transfer window finished last week, uh, four months of negotiation and uncertainty and things like that. But uh, yeah, we've had a good transfer window. At club. Uh, really pleased with it. And recruitment's been been spot on. So um, is the transfer window the most really good for you? Um, it can be. Yeah. Um, th- I mean, the thing about this job is that, you know, it's not just about recruitment. It's about all, all the other aspects of the club mm-hmm. and the other teams in the club and things like that. So recruitment is just a, a you know part of it and i think in some instances sporting directors are seen as headers of recruitment and things like that but that's not the case at this club uh, we have a head of recruitment who gets on with things and and whatever so you're basically there to make sure that everything's you know flowing as smoothly as possible i suppose so um yeah yeah i was really pleased with the way it went what is the scouting strategy used by Salford and how actively involved in the process are you then well, I suppose the scouting process starts with the with the scouting of the head coach, so to speak. <clears throat> so we made a change in the summer and brought Neil Woods, mm-hmm. uh, sorry Neil Wood in from uh, Manchester United as a, more of a head coach, really, uh, because we wanted to we wanted to have an identity at the club um, and a coaching program that you know developed players, developed young players, and actually improved older players and got a little you know a little bit more out of them. You can get five percent. That older player who's already, you know, a good player, then you you're going in the right direction. So that was the, that's the first thing really is to identify the head coach that fits the philosophy and what you're looking to achieve at the club. Then you've got to supply 
the players uh, to the head coach. Um, and it's not a matter of just, you know, Susan, as soon as the season finishes, you know, you, you go, well, who've we got on the list, et cetera, et cetera. That's normally taken care of throughout the year. And we have um, three full-time scouts who are, you know, out at games all the time. They understand what the manager's looking for. They understand what Neil's looking for. Uh, in the you know in the playing style and the playing philosophy, um, so that's kind of the way that it works. Um, and then you know we'll get together quite regularly to discuss uh, whereabouts we're up to with the targets. You know who we who we've spoken to, etc. Um, so that's you know kind of the way that it starts the process, so to speak. But you know for a lot of the time, the you know the managers kept out of it. Uh, you, you don't want to burden him with long lists of players. Mm. That's the scout's job to sift through all the players and, and basically provide probably a list of three or four players that, you know, the manager can then, you know, look at in a lot more depth and detail because ultimately the manager has the final say on the player so long as it's within budget. And again, that's part of the due diligence process that the scouts have to be, you know, have to go through and collect all that information, what the deal's going to actually look like before we actually even start to talk to an agent, but getting a rough idea what the, what the figures are going to gonna be, will they fit within our budget? And if they do, like I said, that short list is presented to Neil, um, who then, you know, decides really who, who, we, who we would really like. I can't, for the life of me, think how bringing in players for a, a manager or a head coach that he's not decided on, I can't for the life mm. of me think how that works. But I do know it's it's the, the done thing in you know in European countries, and that's part of the, you know the, the culture of, of of football in 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 Europe. But definitely in this country, that that wouldn't work. Has there been a time when, and I'm not looking for names or names of manager or anything, that maybe you disagreed with bringing a player in, and you said there that the manager has probably the most important say. At the end of the day, maybe he has a veto vote whether he wants a player or or doesn't. But has there been a time where you have maybe been a loggerheads with a manager that you disagree the player would be the right fit. Or... You, you have a you have opinions and you know the, the but like I said you, you'd like to think that the players that he's getting presented with those four those four players fit the profile that we think that he will be you know happy with if he then brings or and you know managers in the past have brought forward a player that he would like then obviously we sit down and discuss it discuss it with the scouts. Um, I can't think that I've ever ever vetoed a a, a signing, um, but you know you do have your opinion. You know you, you have your differences of opinion. That's 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 football. But you know once a decision's made, then obviously you've got to you've got to move forward with it. You spoke about the process of hiring a manager, and of course, I'm you know Salford are very there's such a, a focus and an emphasis on playing youth and bringing youth up through the academy. But in terms of team tactics, is there a certain style of play you're looking for? Or is it mainly just you're looking for other things? Is the manager allowed to impose his own philosophy on the club? Or do you have one set already within the club that a manager must fit into? Yeah, we have a, we have a, a club philosophy document that basically, you know, we'd like to think that the managers would fit into. Um, do we have a certain style of play? No. Um, I think the prerequisite is they have to play uh, positive football, relentless, ruthless, all these kind of things mm -hmm. that 
our words, so to speak, but, you know, play at a certain tempo, play high-tempo high football, play attractive and, and attacking football because I think we do have a, um, you know, I think we've got a duty for our, our, our fans that they pay good money, they work hard all week, and I think if they're going to pay to watch us, I think we've got a duty to entertain them. So I think we have to play in a certain way. But I think the main emphasis really is on the training and coaching of the players to make sure that they're organised, make sure they're fit enough, make sure that you know they're, they're, they're improving. Um, and again, like I say, that's why Neil was identified. We knew Neil, we've known Neil for quite a long time, obviously, working at United and some of the lads have worked with him. Um, you know, he was very impressive when we spoke to him. He was very clear about the way that he wanted to play, which is all well and good. Um, you know, anybody can say that in a in a job interview and things like that, but he's actually proved, you know, the way that he said that he was going to train and coach the players, he's actually doing that, and the way that we play is actually showing that as well. So it's always a there's there's risk there's risk to every appointment, whether you know you're bringing in a manager who's got 15, 20 years experience or a manager that's never coached or managed in the football league. Um, but you, sometimes you've got to look at your way things up and, you know, go with a, a bit of your gut feeling as well and say, you know, we really like this guy. We know what he's capable of. He's confident in himself, um, you know, and, and, and very clear in the way that he wants to do things. So, you know, when you look at all that, that's, that's why we brought Neil in. How does the process work, if you don't mind me asking? Because I'd imagine that, obviously, a side like Manchester United or Manchester City, the process would be very different and maybe they would go to a candidate or the, the, the manager's agent per se and would negotiate talks. But how does the process at a club like Salford work? Would the would the managers all apply to you and then you bring them in for interviews and interview each candidate? It, it, there's, two, there's two things really, I suppose. <clears throat> My role is to provide the board, the owners, uh, with it's a bit like scouting, like I said before, it's about scout like scouting where you're supplying four or five of the best candidates that you think will do the job to the you know the the expectations I suppose of the owners and the way that we want to do things. So that's the first thing. Um, then you sit down and discuss them. Uh, you know, obviously there's pros and cons to you know every manager and what they will bring. Um, then you probably get it down to two or three. Um, but in the meantime, you know, once people do know that there's a, you know, a manager's role available at the club, you do get, you know, people applying for it or they'll give you a call or a text or their agent will, et cetera. Um, and something might come up that, you know, you might have missed or something like that. But that's the job really of the sporting director or one of the jobs is to make sure that the, you know, the, the head coach coming in or the manager uh, fulfills the, the expectation and you know the the want of the owners so to speak and like I say the way that we want to do things as a manager people always talk about the importance of managing upwards obviously when you're working with a sporting director or the board however as a sporting director you kind of have to do both you have to manage upwards and maybe downwards a bit if, if that's probably an incorrect term to use but is this difficult to handle and do you almost operate as a go-between for the manager and the owners yeah, so you, you basically uh, you've got to have a thick skin because uh, you know sometimes the owners will say something. Um, you've got to absorb that. Um, the manager might want something that the owners can't, you know, 
might not agree with or it's financially it's not you know it's not doable etc so you've got to deal with that um you know you're overseeing all the departments in the football uh you know part of the uh of the club um so you are a kind of a glue reel i suppose and bringing everything together um i think the most important thing for me for you know what i do for neil is kind of all the other stuff that he's not going to deal with um you know, we can focus doing exactly what he's expert at, and that's been out on the grass with the players and coaching the players. In the past, you know, the manager would manage the club from top to bottom. Now I think that's the role of, you know, the sporting director to help and support all those different departments and leave the head coach to basically get on, like I said, to do what he's best at. Um on the other side of things, you have to have an idea on, you know, what the business plan of the club is and make sure that, you know, the, you know, Neil might come to me and say, can we do this? Can we do that? I'll take that to the board. And if I know what the answer is going to be straight away, I'll just say, you know, it's not going to be doable. But if I think that it's, it's, it's worthwhile and it's something that will benefit the club, then I'll take that forward. Um, but like I say, it's about, having a thick skin. Um, it can be a little bit lonely at times because everyone's looking at you because if there's problems, you're the first person that they come to. I actually think, or what I say is if somebody has got a problem, so we'll suggest a solution and that's see if we can sort it out. You're not just mm-hmm. there just to absorb everybody's problems and, you know, be a, uh, you know, the kind of person just that people can just offload on. Sometimes, you know, you understand that, you know, people might just need to speak to you about something and, you know, you, you've got to you've got to be aware of that, and you've got to understand that. Um, but you can't just be there with a punch bag and just, you know, um, you know, for people to to gripe and moan about. And we, to be fair, the staff here are brilliant. Um, you know, they're, they're great. They get on with the jobs. They're hardworking. Um, I'd like to think that you know they enjoy the coming into work every day. Uh, we've got a good culture. Um, so. You know, hopefully those kind of things are few and far between, but definitely that's the main important thing that as far as, you know, I do for Neil is is concerned is, you know, to act as that support and and do as much as I can for him uh, so he can get on with what he's best at. And Chris, do do you get overwhelmed in the job? Because I know you've been in charge now, I think think it's five years, if I'm not mistaken, at Salford and as the sporting director. You said there that maybe managers of old would kind of control everything at the club but that's probably not practical anymore in the modern game. Of course, that's your job now, but do you get overwhelmed at all that? I mean, you're working with so many different people. You're going from the manager to the owners, and then you're obviously involved at academy level as well. How do you handle the pressure of that? Um, I wouldn't say pressure. I think it's just uh, making sure you manage time manage yourself more than anything. Um, don't get overwhelmed by anything. Don't get too excited when you get a few results or don't get too low when things are not going quite right. Kind of keep things into perspective. And, and again, part of the job is, um, you know, to keep things on a level keel and, you know, move things forward at the correct pace that, that it needs to be done at. So, yeah, it, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a fascinating role. There's no question about it. It's a brilliant role, you know, for... For myself, I, I really enjoy it, and you know, there's it, there is hard work. There's no question about it. Um, and if you're pe- prepared to do the hard work and the hard yards, then you know, I know we'll get the rewards. And I think over the five years, I think over the last couple of years, we've maybe flatlined a little bit with regard to the first team, so to speak. Um, 
you know, but you've got to remember where we've come from. Five years ago, we were a part-time non-league team in National League North. Now we're sitting fourth in League Two and, you know, probably kicking ourselves that we give a, a lead away and probably should have been sitting second. We've won twice at Wembley. Uh, we've had four promotions or three three, three promotions in five years. Mm-hmm. Won twice at Wembley. We're the most watched team on, on Sky uh, in the Football League. Uh, you know, we have more games on than than, than anybody, I think. Um, you know, our social media coverage uh, or followers, uh, sorry, is the seventh highest uh, in the championship, the second, the first division and the second division. So there's a big scrutiny on us and, you know, the, I suppose the expectation, so to speak. But the expectation comes from your own, you know, values and your own standards yourself. And so long as you're doing your best, that's all you can expect to do. But I think, you know we've, where we've come from. We've got you know not forget that you know there's a new, we've built a new ground. Um, we've got an academy now. We've just sold. Um, we've sold a B team player last week that came in on a free transfer from MK Dons, Brandon Asante, and we sold him for three hundred grand last week. And he scored, but, I think, against. And he scored against Burnley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know there's success stories all the way around. All uh, you know all the time. Uh, when you look back over the the last five years, um, there is areas that we need to improve on. There's no question about that. Um, you know, the training ground for for one is is something that we we are addressing, and we know we need to get right. Um, but you know, we've got to, like I say, not forget you know how quickly we've grown and put things into perspective. What are your ambition? What are your ambitions for Salford City in the future? Then, have the owners got a plan of where they want to be in the next few years? Is the club on track to accomplish this i think i think setting a target is um probably a bit unrealistic my targets are always to ensure that the club is improving in all the areas all the all the departments um you know from i'd say from the academy can we get more players into the b team from the b team can we get more players into the first team can we have the best sports science um, resource can we have the the fittest players can we have the best coaches etc and i think once you get all that success will follow whatever success you know sometimes people say well define success well that for me is defining success to make sure that all the departments are functioning to the maximum of their potential and like I say, if we get that right, and I get that right, then we're in. We should be in good shape to to get promotion and and, and move move through the leagues. Chris, you've worked in a plethora of different roles within football so far in your career, from being a, a player to a manager to an academy coach, assistant manager, and now sporting director. But how have all these different roles prepared you today as a sporting director, or was the, or was the role much more alien than you ever imagined it to be? Yeah, I think they, they prepared me to a, to a certain degree. Like I say, being a player, so you understand what players are going through, although it's a different era, but it's still the same the same things going on uh, as a player. Um, as a manager, you understand what the you know the coach is going through and the manager is going through, and um, you know the pressures that they that they put on themselves. Really, I suppose. Um, you know, I worked at the Premier League for six and a half years in the youth department, and you know, I saw what. The, the EPPP, you know, was part of helping develop that. Um, so you got an idea on that. And actually, as daft as it sounds through my injury, uh, when I was out for 14 months, I actually, you know, was, was very interested in obviously the rehab side of things and the fitness side and conditioning side of things. Um, I also scouted for, for Wigan when they were in the Premier League. 
Um, so on the recruitment side of things, I've, you know, I've not done an awful lot of recruitment, but I did, used to do my own recruitment at Bury when I was manager there as well. Um, probably just before the days of agents and things like that. But again, it's still, you know, still handy to, to know what the process is. So it, it gives you an idea, but it doesn't actually, you know, 100% prepare you for the sporting director's role, but it gives you the experience to, to understand. I think the, the most important thing for a sporting director, <coughs> excuse me, is to not try and micromanage people and let them the, the the role of sporting director is to identify the best person to do the job and let them get on with it and be there as a help and support when they need it um constant commu um, communication clear communications vital um but like i said you, you you bring the best people in to do the job and let them get on with it um you know i think in some 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 stories that I hear about sporting directors picking teams, picking players, etc., telling people what to do. You, you sit down and you have a conversation, and you you check and challenge, and you say, "Well, you know, um, is there anything that I can do to help? Have you have you thought about this and that?" And ultimately, it's down to the people who is who's the head of the department to to get on with that. Um, the, the one I'm from a football background, obviously, and, and a coaching background, and you know. Slightly said about players, you know, you're never going to have the same opinion. It's about the, the team selection. You, you know, sometimes you go, oh, I want to pick that player, or, you know, but that's the, the role of the manager. That's, you know, uh, you might have a conversation about it after, and, you know, you don't have to get them to justify why they did it. You just have a conversation and talk about the game, and, you know, you might bounce a few ideas off you and, you know, ask your, ask your opinion. But it's, um, that's one thing that, you know, is um, not, not frustrating, but, it can you know that's difficult sometimes when you don't always agree with what the, mm -hmm. the manager does and you know the team selection and the tactics but <clears throat> ultimately that's what they they get paid for are you involved in <coughs> any capacity on match day because i know some sporting directors will just sit in the stands and they'll watch on whereas others like uh pavel nedved at juventus goes into the dressing room and i know up in munich the sporting director sits on the bench how involved are you on a match day no, um, what I will do, I normally go to the home games. Um, if we're playing away from home, I'll either go to another game or we have to, the game stream live, so I'll watch the game. Uh, but at the home games, um, again, you're there, you know, way before kickoff, go and see the manager and the coaches just to make sure they've got everything they need. Is there any issues that you can help with, et cetera? Um, but, you know, I wish them all the best and, you know, that that's as much as you can do really i don't see any reason to to sit on the bench what you're going to do you know you, it's their job like you know you, you've got more than that's what they get paid to do um, and then after the game always go and see the manager see how he is because sometimes you just might need a chat um you know there was one instance a couple of years ago with with graham alexander and i could see a sense we'd had a bad result and he just needed some reassurance that everything was going to be all right uh, you know, we had a good chat about the team and made a couple of suggestions and, you know, had a conversation and, you know, we, and I'm not saying it was on the back of the conversation, but he did make a couple of changes and we won nine out of the next 10 and conceded one goal and ended up getting promotion. Now, you know, Graham rightly so took all the credit for that, but I could just sense that he just needed a, a conversation after the game and, you know, it was... Um, it, it was it was great with it. So, um, 
but also as well, just to, you know, on the, you know, on the other side of things, just make sure if there's any, any injuries, just go and see the physio, just check up, see what's, you know, if there's anything that might have happened in, in the tunnel that I need to be aware of. Um, very rarely, but there might have been an incident after a game or, you know, just make sure there's uh, they've got everything that they need and, you know, they're supported. And if if they need anything, then then I'm there. I don't hang around for long. I might just have a quick five minutes with them and uh, with the staff just to see how everything was. They might, you know, they're, they're normally talking about the game and, and that. And, you know, I wish them a good, uh, good weekend and catch up with them Monday. I never, I de- very rarely do I speak to the staff on Sunday unless I really need to. It's their yeah. day off. I might, you know, text them, you know, just to remind them on a, you know, for something if if that's needed. Very rarely do I try and communicate with staff on Sunday. They need the they need the time off. And I know this could be somewhat of a an awkward or uncomfortable question, so I can only apologise. But obviously, part and parcel of the job will be relieving managers of their duties. How difficult is that of a task for you? Because I, I'd imagine you get quite close to some managers sometimes. You develop great relationships, and then of course. At the end of the day, football is still a results business to be cliched about things and then they have to release them. So how do you how do you feel in that instance? How uncomfortable is it for you or you know, what's your experience? Yeah, um you know, the first year with Bernard and John brilliant lads. Um, so I'm supported uh obviously with it's it's an owner's decision at the end of the day. Um you know, I, I, I'll I'll have my input into the decision, but ultimately, you know, it's the, it's the owner's decision. Um, you do get close close to the to the managers, so to speak, in a professional way. You know, you, you try not get too close because mm-hmm. somewhere down the line, you might have to have that conversation. Or you probably will have to. Hopefully, if you dog, you know, if if there is a part of the ways, it's for. A far bigger club and at this moment in town I've been disrespectful to Salford but we're in League 2 with average fans of 2,500 at the minute and if a club from you know a high prep you know championship club comes in like it, like they did with Brandon Asante if someone comes in for our manager you wouldn't want to lose him don't get me wrong but you know it, it, it might be an, uh, an offer that is too good for him to turn down I suppose and you know, we've we've got to understand that. So that that's where you want to get to, really. You don't want to be in a position where, you know, you're sacking managers because of poor performance and things like that. Because you, you kind of take that personally as well, because you think, well, you know, is there anything else I could have done? Did we get things right from our end? But two two managers, Bernard and John, are brilliant characters, great lads. Um, you know, but obviously moving forward, that, you know, the decision was made to change. Um, you know, and Graham and 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 Gary as well were, were fantastic people. That's the, the the difficult thing. Great guys, very experienced, knowledgeable, worked unbelievably hard. Um, like I say, the club got to a stage where they needed that identity, I suppose, and wanted to go in a different direction with a head coach who worked with the players in a different way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, it's never easy. I'm, you know, in there with with Gary, speaking to them, and um, you know, we, we try and do it in the right way. And you know, every time that we've done it, we've, we've shaken hands with the manager and you know, wished each other all the best. I'm sure they're hurting now. They've been in that position myself, and it it's tough when somebody tells you that your your contracts, uh, you, you're no longer wanted at the club. It's it's the toughest thing you can hear as a manager. Um, so again. You know, experience-wise, 
I know what the, I know what they're going through. When they hear that bad news, it, it it's there's a there's a there's a, sometimes sometimes you can be expecting. I wasn't expecting it really, but we we were in the third round of the FA Cup, and it was the day before the replay against Norwich, and we we'd done unbelievably well to go down to Norwich and and draw one each. We were in the Championship at the time. Uh, we'd had a few bad results in the league, so to speak, but that was Bury. That's what happened at Bury because of the resources and everything. So you kind of, you know, navigated your way through that. Uh, and like I say, I'd prepared the team for the uh, replay against Norwich on the Tuesday. So the Monday came in, did all the teamwork, did did the Sky, the interview for the Sky and the local press, et cetera, and then got told in the afternoon that my services were no longer wanted and pretty tough to take. Mm. So like I say, it's 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 difficult it's difficult to give but it's definitely you know on the receiving end it it's it's not it's not pleasant at all and how about with players then because obviously you came up through one of the most difficult academies or, or the most competitive academies in the world that during a team that was i mean the, obviously the class of 92 i produced some of the greatest players english football's ever seen but how in terms of salford city when you're Telling a young player that you've probably, you know, coached the, the the club have coached for years and they've brought them along and they've developed that maybe they're not quite at the level required anymore. How difficult can that be to have that conversation? Or do you have that conversation? Is it is, is it someone else's job maybe to? No, I have I have done that, but sometimes because of circumstances. So last year, uh, sorry, this, uh, at the end of last season, obviously Gary had gone. Um, um, Neil was yet to be appointed, um, so obviously we'd had conversations with with Neil about which players he wanted to keep, which players you know weren't part of his plans. So I actually sat with all the players uh, and told them, you know, they were part of his plans. And not so much the lads that were already under contract; they, you know, they've got a year left. And, they just go on their holidays and you just catch up with them through a quick chat over the telephone. But um, the lads that you're actually making decisions on, whether you're retaining or releasing, I I did all those last year. Um, it's more difficult. It's more difficult with a younger player because you're killing the dreams, basically. Because mm -hmm. once you leave Salford City, it's going to be very, very tough to get a career. If an experienced player leaves here, he might get another contract somewhere else. Um, you know, and probably they've already had a half decent career anyway, earned some money, uh, which can set them up for the next stage of their lives. So telling young players um, is without question the most difficult part of the job because, like I say, you, you, you've got I've got a young son who's in the academy. Um, it was the you know when I got told he'd got a scholarship, it was the proudest day of my life. Um, you know, I don't get emotional very easily, especially in football, but that was pretty emotional, to be fair. He just sat there and it was very cool and calm <laughs> and whatever, but myself and my wife were, you know, very proud of him, obviously. So I'd actually know what it would feel like to give, you know, to give that. And I've done it for a long time, I'd say, when I was at Bury and Bradford and that, and you sit down with, with, with young players and say, unfortunately, you know, we don't think you're going to be quite good enough for our first team. It's difficult. It's really difficult, um, but it's part of the job, and it's part of the job you get paid for, and it's part of the sport that you kind of sign up to, really. And as a player, I was fortunate that 
you know, I got quite a long contract when I was a young player and then got it extended and extended. And, you know, I ultimately got sold from Manchester United and didn't really have the, you know, have that conversation of a rejection or whatever. I ended up mm-hmm. obviously finishing through injury. Um, so it's very, that, that is the worst part of the job. There's no question about it, dealing with young players and telling them that they've no longer got a future at the club. But on the flip side of that, when, you know, we, we give them all the help and support that they can possibly give. Um, one of the young lads who, you know, got the bad news the year before, um, he asked if he could come back in training. Every single one of our players that we release, our young players, are always welcome back to train to help them get fit and help them get a club and all the rest of it. And they know that. And he came back in um, and he ended up, he was trying to get trying to get sorted out in the local area. It didn't happen. And he ended up getting a scholarship out in America. And I think it was New York or somewhere like that, a four-year scholarship. So that was brilliant part of the job because you know we played a part because he was fit when he went out there um and he went out and and, and got the scholarship so one the, the thing is is telling them which is really bad news but if you can help them and like i say we're always there to help and support them then you know, that's all you can do really i want to focus on you as a, a sporting director for a second chris Obviously, I know you knew some of the owners, like you knew Gary and you would have known Ryan and Paul, etc. But what do you think? I mean, they could have chosen anyone for the role. What do you think they saw in your ability in order for you to be given the chance to take over such a high-profile high position within the club? I think, yeah, they did know me. I think I'd like to think that they knew what kind of a character I am. Um, hardworking, um you know, with experience, like I said before, about being a player, being a coach, being a manager, working for the Premier League, working in recruitment, you're kind of ticking quite a few of the boxes that you need to to understand about the role of the sporting director. Um, it, it, it's a it's a it's a professional relationship where I've known I've known the lads thirty years, um, but it's a business at the end of the day. Um, you know, and it, it, what what needs to be said and what needs to be done. Hundred percent stays professional. Uh, it can't be any other way. Um, but like I say, I think one of the big things as well was the academy that we that we set up. Um, like I say I'd worked in worked in the Premier League for six and a half years, and saw the well, you know, in the development of the elite player performance plan. Um, and when I came in in February, uh, the plan was to get the academy up and running by July with 20 players, et cetera, et cetera, which we managed to do. Um, so building that part of the club was, I think, very important for the for the owners as well. So it's probably looked at my experience in, in the Premier League as well and, and, uh, and you know, the other, the other things that I'd done in my career. There's, there are still clubs out there in the Premier League. There's actually two clubs who don't currently employ a sporting director of, or or football director which seems kind of ludicrous in this day and age to me but that's their decision you may have to be a little bit boastful here but what are the benefits of having a sporting director as part of the hierarchy or or, and structure of of a football club like i say i think it's that having that connection from the manager to the board i think being that middle person i think that's what you are you are that middle person and that support to the manager and the head coach they can focus on what they need to focus on, like I said before, you know, you look after all the other stuff, you bring them 
rapport with the players that you know you know he's gonna that will fit their uh, playing philosophy. Um, you manage the kind of manage the other staff, so to speak, and you identify the best the best staff uh, that will support the manager and um, you know support the club and and be the best that that department can possibly be with the resource that that's available. Um, so I, I I don't understand. I think probably you know maybe Manchester United. I'm not particularly sure how it would work there. Darren Fletcher's down as sporting director, or in, and John Mert is involved on the, that side of things. Um, obviously, at Liverpool, Julian Ward now signal from Michael Edwards, and I think he did a brilliant job. Did Michael very unassuming guy, great guy. He actually, I was flattered, very very flattered that he connect. He wanted to connect with me on LinkedIn and <laughs> and, and wanted to meet me, and obviously I jumped at the chance. And he was brilliant for a couple of hours. Him and Julian. Um, I, like I say, I think it's just it's something that all the stuff that the manager doesn't need to get involved with. That's what you do, and you make sure that he can focus solely on what he's good at and what he needs to do on the on the training ground. So, like I say, I don't understand. You know, in this day and age now, and there's more, there's more now in the championship. You know, and it's filtering down, and I think it's a role that will become more and more prevalent because. I think more and more now um, managers will be head coaches and a younger style and a younger type of uh, person. You know, Neil's, you know, got this, all his experience working, you know, in, young, in youth football and academy football and 23s football. Um, he's not wet behind the ears. He's 40 and he's got a bit about him and he's been an ex-player. So um, I do think there'll be more and more head coaches that will need that resource and that support of a sporting director alongside them and, and working with them. Well, MK Dons actually, they have Liam Manning in charge and when they appointed him, they made sure they announced that it was head coach and not manager, which is a very specific detail. They they kept pushing, which I, I quite liked. And as you said, yeah, yeah, I think we're going into an era now where managers will no longer be managers. They'll just be head coaches and you'll have sporting directors then. Yeah, Neil, Neil announced as our head coach. Head coach? Neil was, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I want to ask you two more questions. The first question I want to ask you is, you were at Berry for, I think it was about three years, 2005, 2008, roughly yeah. three, three years anyway. Is management ever something you want to go back into or was the, the, the three-year spell enough? Because I know you did you did coach, you were assistant manager and, you, and you've done coaching, but not, you know, you weren't head coach at a club again afterwards. Yeah, no, I um, I really enjoyed my time at, at Bury. Um, and... That's my background is coaching. You know, even as a young player, I was very interested in coaching and things like that. Um, but it got to a stage where you know I'd been youth team coach at Bury, reserve team coach, first team manager, and then I was first team coach at Bradford City, and I left after a year through no fault of my own. But there was cutbacks at the club, and I'd only got a month month um, um, uh, severance, so to speak. And one of the other coaches from the first team dropped down to the youth team and got still was on a playing contract, which was about three years long. So they couldn't afford to to sack him. And I say that that was tough that as well because I thought you know done a pretty good job. We had done a good job there, but circumstances dictated that. Then I went to Grimsby, which was a 
a great club, actually. I really enjoyed working there with some really good people, but the, the way it had been left by previous, uh, you know, p- people in charge and that was a disaster. I mean, it really was. Um, unfortunately, we got relegated on the last day, but, you know, you, you try and turn things around and try and do what you can do, but we were always up against it. We were five five points adrift at the bottom of the league and, you know, to train, change a culture, you can put certain things in place and we did unbelievably well to, to nearly get out of it. So I think it was a few things really, you know, having three or four jobs in the space of a couple of years, um, you start to think, well, this is quite volatile and, you know, I need something which is a little bit more stable. Um, so when I got offered the job by uh, Jed Rod, the Premier League, it gave me that opportunity to, you know, to give myself some security, more, more importantly, my family as well, just to, you know, instead of having all this pressure and tension and et cetera, um, you know, not knowing, you know, from season to season, so to speak, what, what's going what's gonna to happen. Um so that was, you know, that was came six years, six and a half years at the Premier League, and I've been here five and a half years. So I've not, I, I did a bit of coaching with the B team when Warren Joyce bumped up to the first team. So I did quite a bit of coaching with the B team and really enjoyed that. Um, but I think the game's changed since I last was a you know professional coach. <clears throat> I don't think it would take too long to, you know, because. I think people try and reinvent with wheel, but at the end of the day, the game doesn't change. That's, that's you know, players don't, don't, they don't change. Um, you know, the only thing that changes probably is the pace of the game. It's a little bit more tactical now with more analysis and more data and sports science and things like that. But again, it's about players at the end of the day. So I really enjoy my job here. And like I say, I've not really been on the pitch for the last 10 to 12 years. Um, would I like another go at it? I don't know. I think that's our intention of leaving here. Um, you know, that's, I want to want to help the, the club be as successful as possible. Um, but you know, there's, there's always a part of you thinking, well, you know, if you were a coach, what would you do in this situation, that situation, <laughs> and when you're watching it on the TV? But it's dead easy when you're watching it on yeah. TV, and you've not got you know ten thousand fans screaming and shouting at you and all the rest of it. So. No, I, you know, if I, I quenched my thirst a little bit, like I say, with my when I coached the B team and did a bit with the first team when there was a transition when um, Scolzi took over. So I helped Scolzi for a couple of weeks um, and enjoyed it. But, you know, it was one of them, am I going to enjoy it too much? Am I going to, but I was happy to step back again. So that probably tells me what the decision would be <laughs> if something, you know, if in the future, if. Uh, I did get a, a little bit excited about a role. No, I don't think so. No. Chris, the last question I want to ask you is, and I always, I always end on this because I love hearing the different answers. Who have been the biggest inspirations for you throughout your your career in football? Um, first, first of all, my mum was the biggest inf- uh, inspiration for me as a person. Um, obviously, my dad played for for Burnley as well, so I grew up in a culture of football. So every every Saturday was. You know, my dad. My dad had just finished playing. Uh, you know, when I was born, mm-hmm. uh, he was the youth team coach, then the first team coach, then the first team manager at Bury, at Burnley, and then went on to Bury, etc. So I'd, I'd always grown up in that in that football culture. So my parents were very, very inspirational and supportive, loyal, 
um, never interfered. Although I say my dad was an ex-pro and a coach, so you know, obviously listened to his advice, but it was always very, very positive and helpful. Um, and then, you know, you look at United where, you know, obviously you've got Sir Alex as the manager um, who set the most unbelievable standards, not in any other way apart from the example that he set, uh, his will to win, uh, his work ethic, his knowledge, um, all those things, like I say, the standards that, 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 were, that were in the club. And then followed that with, you know, the likes of Brian Kidd, who was our youth team coach, um, who then moved up to the first team. Nobby Styles, World Cup winner, European Cup winner. Eric Harrison, unbelievable coach and mentor, really. Um, you know, when when I was manager of Bury, Eric used to come in and, and and watch me coach and give me some advice and tips and things like that. Um, Jim Ryan as well was another one who's steeped in the history of the club at United. So, you know, it's it's it was those kind of people that you know you you look to and have been the biggest influences, I suppose, on your career. Um, you know, so I, that that. Those people, yeah, I would say. Um, to be fair, when I was at the Premier League, uh, the the leader, the main leader was um, Richard Scudamore, who was, you um, always knew when, and there was some, you know, quite tough times at the Premier League because we were making big changes to the academy system, which not everybody wanted, but you knew when Richard was in your corner that you were you were in good shape. Uh, and Jed as well, Jed Roddy, who was the, the the head of youth for the for the uh, for the for the Premier League as well was a fantastic leader, um, inspirational, you know, brilliant person to work with, um, and a good friend as well now. So um, those people, I think, have have been, been been great to work for as well. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really enjoyed this. I learned a lot, and I know the viewers certainly will do. And I wish yourself and Sa for the best of luck in the future. Brilliant. Thank you, Adam. Cheers. Thanks, Chris. See you. See you later. I hope you enjoyed this chat with myself and Chris Casper. He was very kind to come on and he gave us a wonderful insight into how Salford City run as a football club and into the role of a sporting director. You can find me on Twitter at acecully24 and you can find Total Football Analysis on Twitter at Total Analysis. We provide some fantastic analysis content, if I do say so myself. Thank you all for listening and I'll see you again next week. Goodbye for now.